Welcome to the Yes to Entrepreneurship podcast, where you, the listener, gets to eavesdrop in on the conversations I'm having with fellow entrepreneurs as we sit down for coffee each week. Learn just what it takes to be a business owner, the ups, the downs, and everything in between. And be sure to stay till the end to learn about the Yes to Entrepreneurship Network and how it can help you grow your business. Oh, here comes my guest. Talk to you soon. I am a lawyer and I currently work in two separate spaces. So my entrepreneurship journey as a lawyer took me out of the traditional law firm model and into a bit of a different environment. I used to work as a supervising business attorney at one of the largest law firms in Maryland. And then it got to a point where I thought, okay, I can either keep building this for someone else or I can take a chance and believe in myself and build it for me and build it on my terms. So one day um, I decided that I'd had enough and I was pretty sure I was going to put in my notice and I made three phone calls. One was to my husband to make sure that he was going to be okay with me quitting my job. One was to my mom and one was to my old boss. And I was like, if I totally fall on my face, can I pretty please come back? Cause I'm about to burn this bridge. Um, so I, I did go ahead and I put in my, my two weeks notice. And I, in that time, I, put everything together to start my own law firm and hang my own shingles. So at this point, I was five years out of law school and I had my law degree and I went back and gotten my LLM degree, master of law in tax, which is basically if a lawyer wants to I can't technically say specialize because we don't specialize in things in law, but if you want to focus on a particular area beyond what you did in your JD, you go back and you get these master of laws. So it's a weird situation where the LL, like the masters comes after the doctorate. Oh, interesting. (laughs) So I I had gotten those two degrees under my belt and I had put in, um, just under a year at this law firm and I felt pretty good about it so about going out on my own so I put everything together I got malpractice insurance I found office space I put together an LLC found a name did business cards worked with my mom who has this graphic design background to do a logo and I had clients from day one um, which was pretty crazy they were not people from my practice prior i wasn't allowed to tell anyone that i was leaving i wasn't allowed to take any clients with me these were brand new leads most of them i found through either networking with other solo practitioners so people who worked in other types of the law say family lawyers or criminal lawyers who didn't practice in business and tax and also by responding to people's questions and inquiries in more public spaces so on quora or on facebook 
and just being present and answering questions. And when they said, hey, can you help me? The answer was yes. <laughs> it wasn't call my paralegal or set up a consult through this law firm I work for. It was, okay, here's my number. When do you want to talk? And it's changed a little bit since then. Uh, my focus has moved less from one-on-one -on -one type work into building more accessible legal information products yeah. in the entrepreneur space and trying to make it where people can empower themselves with information and digest it at their own pace and apply it as they're ready so that they understand what what the steps they are are that they're taking essentially uh because I think that is such a big part of the process. I mean, of course you can just hand your money over to a lawyer and have them do it for you. But if you have no idea what they're doing, I, I don't think that bodes well for, right. for your business model. Well, and that's and, the thing too, is like, it's so hard. And we've had this conversation before too. It's so hard, especially when you're starting out in business to know all of the things especially when it comes to legal and uh, what you're supposed to have signed up what what forms you should have you know for the business for the website for all these things and so it's really overwhelming and it's very expensive for people who are on limited to no budget so it's it's one of those things that it's important to have because it can really get you in trouble if you don't have these things in place but it's also a struggle at times too and and that's what's very interesting about what you do and how you've evolved over time with it. And what I found is that people tend to be intimidated by two things with the legal side of their business. One is that they think everything is going to be outrageously expensive. Yep. And so they just ignore it and hope for the best. The other is that they have gotten so much conflicting information from all these sources that they think that it is much more overwhelming and complicated than it is. Yeah. And what I found was working in a space of business and tax law primarily, also doing intellectual property. I My focus is always working with creatives and artists and entrepreneurs. That is my soulmate client. Those are the people I jive with and the ones that I really want to help. They're also the people that you're talking about that, you know, think that it's going to be expensive or like I was saying that it's overwhelming. And when I would get on the phone with these people, I was having the same conversations over and over again. And it was walking them through all of the basics. So not even to the point that we're applying it to their business and making decisions, but just here's what being a sole proprietor is. Here's what a DBA is. Here is what being an LLC does. And instead of having to pay an attorney to walk you through all of that, yeah. there's a really easy alternative for a lawyer like me to come in and say, I can put this together so you can walk yourself through the basics and I'm not gonna write it in legalese. 
I'm gonna put it in language that you use, that you understand, so that you can situate yourself in your own time when you're not in the pressure of a conversation with your lawyer to understand all these pieces. And then you can come into that and say, I've done my homework. I think that this structure is gonna work best for my business. Let me tell you a little bit about it and you can tell me if I'm on the right track. And that tends to be a much better use of one-on-one time than trying to just essentially teach you know, business law 101, where you're cramming a lot of information into, you know, a 60, 90 minute strategy session, and it's coming at them so fast that they're not able to process it. Right. And so that's a great strategy to have. And so when you're doing that, what, because, you know, there's always this whole struggle between how much do I offer for free? When do I charge? How often? Like, all the things around pricing our services and products, right? And so with that as an example, like how do you structure that in a way that, you know, works for you for the business financially and for obviously giving back? Because I think all of us entrepreneurs, we always want to give back in some way, shape or form, but we also have to make sure that we are also paying the bills. Otherwise we can't be an entrepreneur anymore. I will be the first to admit I'm really terrible about charging for everything I should. (laughs) I know, I'm the same. (laughs) But I also know that there were a lot of people that helped me along the way and didn't charge me when they should have. And so I see it part of just paying it forward. Yeah. But it was either, it's either Amy Porterfield or Melissa Griffin. I can't remember which, but I was watching a webinar and they said something that stuck with me and that I use as my internal compass. You give away the what and the why and you charge for the how. So when I am doing things that are objective information where you're trying to, you know, understand this is what a trademark is this is what the trademark process looks like this is you know tax deadlines for the upcoming year those are things i readily give away i also will tend to answer general questions on facebook or in other mediums you know if someone calls me up or if they shoot me an email if it's something that I can answer off the top of my head I generally just answer it because it's going to take me more time to set up and bill someone than it is to just answer the question but when we start applying things to their situation and we're creating tailored solutions that's when I start to look at setting up something that works for them to charge for it And when I was active in running my law firm, it was nearly always on a flat fee model. Yeah. And I went into that with a bit of a different approach than you'll get from a lot of attorneys. I mean, most people know that lawyers bill on the billable hour and it's in six minute increments, your tenths of an hour. And I never wanted a client to be afraid to call me or to email me to ask a question that they weren't clear on because they were worried about their billing. 
Yeah. That was my worst fear as a lawyer. Because I've had clients that have said, oh, I don't want to bug you, or I wasn't sure if it was important enough to ask you. And my approach is if you're thinking it and it's bothering you as a business owner, it's important enough to get clarification on it. Yeah, Whatever definitely. it is. Like if it's even just for your own peace of mind and you just want to know, you should ask. And you shouldn't have to be worried about, oh, crap, that phone call just cost me 60 bucks. Uh, just to get an answer to that question. And that was what I was seeing happening in the law firm I was at. And when I went out on my own, I made it very clear that I did not want to follow that path. And I would even put what my pricing started at straight on my website, which is also something you really don't hear of lawyers doing. Yeah. So it was like, if it, if you needed your terms and conditions and your privacy policy and all your things for your website, it's the, that package started at 350 and it was clear right there before you had to call me to get on a phone, request a consult, you already knew what type of investment you were looking at. And, and so that's really, really interesting because it's always a, a battle I not a battle, but it's always an interesting conversation about pricing, putting prices on your website, especially in your profession. And so with that being said, have you really um, seen a struggle between what you offer and what people find on say, I'm gonna say the bad the bad word, legal zoom. <laughs> <laughs> because I know that that's, that's a thing is that so many people, whether they have a, a, a lawyer, uh, access to a lawyer or not, that is such a widely known name. And I've heard horror stories from multiple lawyers around that whole program. So I'm just curious, like, what, what your thoughts are on that and if you've had clients come to you with struggles. So LegalZoom and the other businesses that we see pop up in a similar vein are all kind of a similar type of model. They are a form filling and filing service. So when you buy a package, like for say a trademark on LegalZoom, what they do is they take your whatever your trademark is, and they put it through an automated trademark search engine and see if it flags any major conflicts. Nobody's reviewing those hits or looking through it. It's just coming out. And then they will put all of your information into the forms and prep them and then file it. It is essentially something you can do yourself. There's not going to be an attorney of record on that form if the trademark office has questions, they're going to come to you for that. And if you go into the fine print at the bottom of LegalZoom's website, you'll see that it says they can't guarantee that everything is gonna be accurate, which disclaimer, my website says that too, only because the law changes very frequently. So I don't wanna like call them out for something that I do too. 
be shocked to see it on pretty much almost any lawyer's information website. And the reason why, again, is because the law changes. Right. But legal zooms services not the information on their website but the services themselves aren't being done by attorneys unless you pay an additional fee oh interesting to hire an attorney to get involved in your situation so it really is dependent on the savvy of the person entering in the information into legal zoom yeah. You will have an opportunity for them to upsell you with someone in their network who may or may not be trained in the area that you're looking for. I don't know how they in particular staff, but a lot of times those places outsource to uh, prepaid legal programs where the attorneys are mostly generalists and they know a little bit about a lot of things but don't necessarily go into the minutiae of particular areas of law right. again spoiler alert i worked for one of them at one point um, and that's how i know yeah. what they are so i don't want people to think i'm just calling out legal zoom because right. i want to make more money my thought process is if you feel comfortable going the legal zoom route save yourself the legal zoom fee and just do it yourself right uh i will be the first to say that not every issue needs a lawyer uh getting your ein number from the irs is a pretty straightforward form oh, yeah. that you do on their website you don't need a lawyer to do that you don't need a filing service to do that it's Free. so quick yeah it's so exactly. quick and in some states you know filing for an llc or a dba it's really simple some states it's more complicated some states there are requirements and you have to do publication and a lot of steps those states you might want to get some guidance but some states are really easy like new jersey for instance automatically approves your forms when you file them oh really yeah so That's even for cool. a corporation it will pretty much auto approve the filing as long as it doesn't conflict with their database so in those instances, you don't need a lawyer to handhold you through that process and you don't need a filing service to handhold it. If you can follow the instructions and fill out the form and, you know, I think trying to fill in those bubbles for the SATs is probably harder than some of these forms are, then I would say save yourself the money. Where I do think LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer and some other places have some strength is that they are making general legal information more accessible. Yeah. Their, their websites are getting pretty comprehensive. The downfall that I see with them, though, is that the connection is missing from how do I take this one size fits all information and apply it to me? And that is where I have tried to differentiate the products and blog posts and things that I've put out yeah. is I try to bring it down to earth for a small business entrepreneur, for a creative that is selling their goods or services, for the artist, for the author, for the musician. How do we bring it into 
real world applicable scenarios and how do we break it down in language that you use in your business, that you use in your daily life, as opposed to jargon that may be great if you're Xerox Corporation, right. but not so great if you're someone running a laser cutting business on Etsy. Well, and that's the interesting part too. Did you always know that you wanted to help entrepreneurs and the creatives? Um, or is that something that you kind of stumbled upon throughout your journey? Because I feel like that that is such a, a specific group to target. And it's a great group to target, obviously, I think, uh, because this is what <laughs> I do. But um, it's just, it's one of those that it really is something that can help them on so many levels. I came from a very entrepreneurial family. My grandfather owned a trucking business. My mom had a number of businesses that she did when I was a child. She baked wedding cakes and she was a professional clown and she had a party oh, cool. shop. Um, and then my dad eventually was one of the co-founders of an industrial supply company in Cleveland. So I had been around people that were starting and running their businesses for most of my life. And yeah. I saw people getting a lot of really bad advice for They're a lot like, of that time. Need you go become a lawyer to help us out. <laughs> right? And so I kind of broke their hearts for a little bit. When I went to law school, I was initially planning on doing human rights law. Oh, interesting. But due to a, a number of complications with my health and finding out that I had a brain malformation, I needed neurosurgery right after law school oh, wow. and access to Western medicine, I knew that traveling and doing the kind of human rights work I had thought was where I was going probably wasn't realistic for me as a career anymore. Right. And I fell in love with contracts and tax as a backup. And love and tax are not usually words people put in the same sentence. Yeah. But I geek out over the tax code. Uh, with contract law, it fascinated me as a former editor that grammar could have that much of an impact in legal interpretation. I still get into arguments with people over whether or not to use the Oxford comma. Side note, I'm pro-Oxford comma. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I, I fell into contracts and tax and business law and that was where my focus tended to move in my studies and what I was really enjoying and I went to a predominantly internationally focused law school I went to American University in DC and international law is one of the things they're known for and I studied arbitration and mediation and things like that. But when I ended up coming out, I, you know, I had gotten married while I was in law school to someone who was local to Maryland. I was having these health issues. So I had to rethink and I'm like, well, how the heck am I going to make a career <laughs> out of all this, uh, which wasn't where I thought it was going to end up. And 
I turned down my interviews coming out of law school because I didn't know when I was going to be able to start oh, wow. uh, with the neurosurgery. So I didn't want to take a job away from someone else. And people told me that was an incredibly noble and stupid thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's crazy. And it was funny because when I was recovering from the neurosurgery, I had had people contacting me who had worked with me on publications when I was in law school asking me if I would edit for them. And so I accidentally started a legal editing business from bed recovering from neurosurgery. Oh, no kidding. And then my name got passed to the next person and the next person. And next thing I knew, I'm editing for clients in Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, <laughs> Brazil, all over the place. And that was kind of eye-opening to realize, okay, not only did I just start this little side thing for some money to pay my medical bills, I just started an international editing business from bed. Yeah. <laughs> and to realize that those kind of opportunities and things were available firsthand was pretty eye-opening. And you start to think about it from that entrepreneurial perspective. And then as a lawyer for me, it's like, okay, I know what I need to do if I need to do something. How do I report this income? Do I need a business? No, it's just me. I'm just editing. It's the sole proprietor, that type of thing. I knew how to write a contract to say, you know, editing is subjective. I can't guarantee you're going to pass or that this article will get published. And I knew how to cover myself but other people didn't and that was how i was able to see that that knowledge gap so then when i went to work at the law firm that i was at and i was doing some of the the prepaid legal calls and they needed someone to come into their business division again i'm taking calls from small businesses this time mostly local they were local to maryland but it was okay. people who were running their own businesses it was the local car dealership, a restaurant, a dance studio. And you start to see these themes popping up in their questions. They're all going through this similar struggle as they're starting something that's their own. And they're incredibly passionate about it, which yeah. is the thing I think that resonates with me. It's very hard to connect with an area of law day in and day out that you don't necessarily find joy in. And I know for me, I could never be a criminal lawyer. I interned for a prosecutor's office and that area of law just weighs so heavily on me, no matter which side you're on. And it was not something I could take home at night. But when I started working with people who were just so passionate about what they were doing, and I knew what I was doing was helping them reach their goals, that lit a fire in me. See, that's cool. And so it went from, I, I, I always say, in most cases, people aren't calling their lawyer because they're having a great day. Right. But I try to change that. 
Although I think maybe I do that every once in a while with you. <laughs> well, I try to change that. And, yeah. and you're an example of how I try to change that, right? I try to help people understand that the law doesn't have to be scary. It's not a bad thing. It's a tool. It's yeah. a way that you can protect yourself, protect your business, protect your client. It puts everybody on the same page and it helps create the lines of this is acceptable and this isn't. This fulfills a contract, this breaks the contract. It lets people be empowered to just do what it is that they're good at without worrying about the mess and the potential for it to go wrong and the noise when we deal with it on the front end. So instead of it being, oh no, I'm in this awful situation. Can you help me figure it out and get out of it? It was like, okay, I'm ready to take this next big step in my business. How do we create a strong foundation to move forward? See, that is what's cool, is starting before it even becomes an issue for people and making sure that they have that solid foundation, which is why I tell people you really have to have your legal game and your finance game on point when you're an entrepreneur because really that's part of your solid foundation that sets the way for everything that comes next. It is so much easier to take the time to figure it out on the front end than it is to try to clean it up on the back end. So true. I've talked to people who they may be just starting out or there have been some that are well on their way in the business and when i say to keep things separate business in its own checking account and personal in its own checking account some actually that was like the first time they've ever heard that and it's like blows my mind and i'm like you need to keep everything separate it's going to make your life so much easier do not add things together yeah. People and so take for granted kind of the basics of, of running a business. And part of that, I think, is just where we are as a culture right now. The ability to make a little extra money on the side, the yeah. gig economy, being able to just turn an app on your phone and snap a couple pictures at a store and get $10 in your PayPal. Like all of those things have blurred those lines. So we don't always think about making money outside of traditional employment as a business, as something we need to think about. And it's not meant to make a mountain out of a molehill, but it, but having that shift in mindset helps you understand what you're trying to do and how to grow it. And yes. we see that most often with people who are doing things as a hobby or just, oh, I'm just doing that on the side. And it grows and it starts to scale and they don't notice until suddenly they have a pretty thriving business and now they're like, oh my gosh, you know, either something just went wrong and they're trying to backtrack and now figure out how to fix it. You know, maybe that got audited by the IRS or someone filed a complaint with consumer protection or something like that. Or they actually stop and do the books and assess things and realize, 
I didn't notice it growing along the way, but now that I'm here, I don't know how to run this. I don't right. know. I don't know if what I'm doing is legal. And that's the hard part. It's like you have to start at the beginning with that solid foundation, knowing that whichever way it goes, you're still going to make it grow <laughs> and and see what happens with it. That's that's what I have told. You know, I have a friend of mine who uh, wants to start a cookie business, and she is very good and has a very unique cookie that she makes. And I, I tell her all the time, like, okay, you're going to start as if you are preparing for things to blow up and you have to start at the beginning and you know helping her with the list of checking things off the to-do list and it's like yes you'll think like oh my gosh do i need an llc do i need this and that and it's like whoa whoa, whoa. let's back it up we're going to start at the basics i'm glad that you're thinking about that but that's not where you're at at this point in time let's just get get you started with the the basics of having you know the, the the business name the EIN and making sure that you have all the legal stuff structured properly and the right right like her zoning and licenses and labeling yeah like just getting that stuff together and then moving on forward you know and I think a lot of people underestimate how much there is to know about those licenses and those startup tasks. We gloss over them a lot. Oh yeah. Uh, entrepreneurs do. They, they gloss through kind of those beginning stages and there's so much that it's important to be aware of and that you're expected to be aware of when you start holding yourself out as a service provider or you start selling your goods. And that's an interesting thing in general about the law. I didn't know isn't a good enough answer. Right. If the law is out there and it's on the books, they expect you to know what it is and that it applies to you. And the thing that hurts my heart even more than legal zoom is when I see people asking for legal advice in Facebook groups and following the advice of a bunch of what I call keyboard lawyers. And I sincerely do not mean that to be patronizing, right? but it differs so much from state to state and sometimes county to county or city to city. Like what we do in Baltimore differs from where I live 10 miles outside of it. Oh, sure. And when you ask someone, what did you do? Or what is the best thing for my business? They can't answer that question in a vacuum on a Facebook group page, you know, like maybe they can tell you their experience, but it, it may, or most likely will not be applicable to you. So I really caution people with that. And so much of the time, like my response is, please talk to an attorney. It doesn't have to be me, but right. talk to someone. Well, and that's the thing, you know, like you bring up a great point because it really is one of those things where, you know, we do get sucked into, we'll just start with the Facebook groups um, and anything like it. And we get sucked into there and we do ask these questions. And, you know, I actually was just talking about this the other day on a different uh, level, but I was just talking about this the other day where, you know, it, it's so funny that I was doing this and I know so many of us do this just in general, but we're always 
thinking of, okay, what can we do? How can we improve this? You know, um, does this name or does this package or whatever, we're looking for that validation from people. And we want to know if it works for them and, and what what's happening, you know, next for our business. And so it's one of those things that, of course, feedback is great. And I look at it as strengths and opportunities and it, you should be asking. But we also need to remember that we got to get into the the habit of saying, okay, I'm good. I need to just do it or don't. Um, mm-hmm. For example, you know, if, if I'm working on a, a new um, service to offer, of course, I'm going to ask people what they're needing and everything. But if I can see the vision, the big vision in my head so clearly, and then I just give out a teeny piece that I ask somebody and they're like, ah, I'm not really feeling that or that doesn't really make sense. And then I run away from it. I, I didn't give them the whole picture. They don't know, like they don't see the vision because I haven't painted the whole picture. I've just given them a little sample, you know? And so hopefully that makes sense. That's just one of those things where I realized that recently where it's something that we all get caught up in. And I think we kind of squash some of our, our dreams or our next steps because we've given out a teeny sample and the three people that we talked to didn't get it. And so we automatically are telling ourselves, okay, we got to move on to the next thing. And we try to create all these products or all these services. And we're so busy creating that we don't stop and realize that we still are confused and we don't know what we're doing and, and we have to bring it back in. I don't know if that makes sense, but that that's what I was feeling recently. <laughs> it definitely makes sense. And it's, it's so true. And that's why it's dangerous, right? You're giving people just this little glimpse into one piece of what you're asking about. And there's this such larger context that they're not getting. And a lot of times when I see those posts or if someone asks me directly or tags me in something, like I run a, I help run a pretty big trademark group on Facebook and they'll ask questions. And so much of the time, my answer is just, well, it depends. Yes. Like there's so many other things I would need to know to even venture to have an opinion, uh, let alone be able to give any kind of advice on it. And I do not give advice on walls on Facebook. I will give information, but I can't advise anybody unless we're talking one-on-one and and have an attorney-client relationship. And I know their, their facts and we go through the whole shebang of, okay, tell me how you got to where you are. Uh, and I know that people hate when lawyers say it depends. It's like, what are we paying you for? Right. Well, you're paying for us to figure out all the things that depends on. Well, and it's true. And you know, what's funny is I actually started to use that now when I do workshops on Facebook because I joke about how attorneys like yourself will say that. And I now have to start saying that because people will ask something about Facebook and I'm like, well, it depends (laughs) because it depends on what you're trying to do or where you're at or what device you're on. Like there's certain things that aren't going to be exactly what I'm showing or what I'm doing because, you know, it's Facebook and everyone's profiles are different and their Mm -hmm. devices are different. So it is funny, but it's one of those things that that's when you know that you have somebody who's actually invested in helping you because they're not just saying, you know, sure, do that, it's fine, without asking more questions to really find out what it is you actually need. Yeah, I don't view there being 
a one size fits all approach, right. especially not to law, but to anything. I don't think businesses are one size fits all. And I don't think that the information that you need to run it is going to be the same for everybody. Yes, there are going to be common themes, but everyone has their own needs. So I try to create a scenario where people can take what they need and leave the rest. Not everything I'm gonna put out is gonna be applicable to every single business. And if it's not something you need or you're not there yet, skip over it. It'll still be there when you're ready for it. Exactly, and that that's how it's supposed to be. It really is that simple, you know. That's what I do with sharing resources inside the, the, the network as well as um, elsewhere that Listen, these are the things that I come across, not specifically law, but just in general, right. um, for helping your business grow and helping market it online organically without paid ads. And it's one of those things that I come across some very unique articles and I don't think, and I know a lot of people aren't actually going to find these resources. So I just like to share them. And it's like you said, if, if you need it, take it. If not, no worries. It's there. It's in the bank for whenever you need to pull it out. <laughs> and then the other thing I see happening with, with the Facebook group mentality is you see people swing at the other end of the spectrum too. It's that, oh, so-and-so is doing it or everybody else is doing it. So it must be the right thing for my right. And it's like, oh, no, those people might not have thought it through yet either. You might not actually need an LLC. You shouldn't be selling Disney things in your Etsy shop. (laughs) Just because they did it doesn't mean it's okay. And it's not going to work out the way you're hoping it will. Right. So it's tough, right? Because sometimes people get scared away based on the feedback they receive. And then sometimes they get led in the wrong direction based on the feedback they receive. And my heart goes out to that because I really do feel like people are trying to get the right information. They have the right intent when they're posting, but it's just the wrong forum. And that's the gap that I try to help bridge. See, and that's really cool. And and I'll ask you the, the favorite question because I'm sure this comes up all the time is when does somebody need to file for a trademark because I feel like that's another one of those things that weighs on our minds that we feel like we have to get the trademark and then maybe we get it but we really didn't need to or you know vice versa whatever and and it's one of those things that people are always like I don't know I'm not sure (laughs) there isn't a magic time that it makes sense Yep. To, to file for a trademark. There there are certainly times where it makes more sense than others. If you have an established brand, if you're selling through multiple channels, if you're selling online, where there's the possibility that someone else may copy it and try to trade on the goodwill that you've built for your business, and you want to be able to shut that down. Yeah that those are the reasons to register for a trademark the probably less than helpful test i give most people is if you found out someone was using your trademark tomorrow 
how upset would you be? How difficult right. would it be for you to rebrand and pivot if you wanted to do it? Or are you willing to go after them for it? That's the other side of having a trademark that I think everyone tends to forget is just because it registers with the patent and trademark office doesn't mean you're done. Exactly. You now have to police that mark, which means it's on you to be going out there and looking for people who are infringing and taking action against them, sending out cease and desist letters, potentially filing with courts to get that information taken down. And if you're not going to be proactive about that and protect the mark, then it's probably not worth the money to file. Otherwise it goes the likes of say Xerox or Thermos things. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think Xerox is still a trademark. They're hanging on, they're up there with Velcro. Oh. Um, Velcro man, they are trying so hard to hang on to, to their trademark. But Thermos used to be a trademark. Zipper was a trademark at one point. But it became so commonplace to use it to refer to those things that it lost its trademark rights. And I mean, at least for my generation, probably yours too, because I think we're around the same age, yeah. I wouldn't know what to call it other than a zipper. Right. Interlocking closure system? Right. I, mean, I, the I don't metal even. Thingy. <laughs> I don't even know what you call that. Yeah. Uh, but for us, it's just, it's a zipper. <laughs> so it, it's tough because you want to strike the right balance. And if you're building a brand on something and it's your cornerstone and it is fairly unique to you. So if you're Amazon, <laughs> right. that kind of thing, then you're going to want to protect it because if it takes off, and we all know it only takes what minutes hours for something you do to go viral and within minutes you'll have a line of people trying to trademark it yeah. popping up copies so there's not really a magic time it's kind of a you know what when you see it right. <laughs> or when you feel it but the more you invest in building the brand and the more time and energy and money you've spent into creating and protecting it, the stronger the likelihood that you should just take that next step and file. Especially because even though it seems like a lot of money, in the long run, it's not. It's just right. a little bit upfront, but it's only a couple hundred dollars for the application. If you have an attorney do it, usually you're looking at somewhere, I don't know, 750 to a thousand if you get you know a good small business attorney some people are going to try to charge you two three four thousand dollars because they work mostly with corporations but oh gotcha there are affordable options out there it's so interesting and obviously we can talk business all day um but i want to uh ask you you know when you look back at where you started and where you're at now what do you feel like how has things changed because you know, like you said, you had you had a pivotal a pivotal moment with the health concern or the health issues, and you've changed over to to helping the entrepreneurs and the creatives, and and you you're a lawyer, so you're dealing with it all, and it's one <laughs> of those things like how how does it feel where you're at now from where you started? 
It feels like I am somewhere I never expected to be. And I'm completely okay with that. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I generally take an approach now of, it, it, I used to be a person that was, I'm at point A, I know where point B is. I am gonna put my head down until I get there. Yeah. But <laughs> I've added something to that. It's like, I always wanna know what my goal is and I'm always gonna work hard to get to it. But I also reevaluate that goal fairly often because it does not have to be a static endpoint. So I could be working towards something and discover a new interest or a new path or a new opportunity, which was one I took to go back to being a salaried employee after having a couple years of entrepreneurship. And it made sense for me at the time. Um, my entrepreneurship spurs in different ways now. I co-own a store with my mom in New Jersey and, oh, wow. and deal with that. So it, it all manifests in different ways, but what makes me happy and feeling fulfilled today is different than what it was five years ago. And five years from now, it'll be different than what it is now. Yeah, and, and it's so true. And, and that's the thing that we have to remember is we really do have to be okay with setting goals and obviously having that roadmap ready to go, but also knowing that it's okay if we have to take these detours and have these these moments where things change and they weren't what we necessarily planned, but hey, we're gonna keep moving and roll until the wheels fall off, you know, to see what happens next. <laughs> exactly. And I don't know if you've seen it, but a blogger that I've been following for a really long time, uh, Elise Kripe, she just came out with a book called Big Dreams, Daily Joys, and oh. it's all about goal setting. And I've been following her and her blog posts for years, but this really sums it up in a digestible way. It's a really fun book. And she talks about how sometimes just saying, like, I'm not going to finish this project, that's completing the project. Oh my like, gosh. And, and the it's okay. It off your shoulders. Exactly. It's okay just to let it go. We don't always have to check everything off the to-do list. Sometimes things can just be moved off the to-do list. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. And right. that's okay. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because I, I will do that. I'll look at my calendar because I'm constantly adding things to my calendar for that day, you know, and then I keep checking in with myself and I look at it and I'm like, you know what? This isn't going to happen today. I got to move it. And then I move it over and I don't feel guilty about it. And I try to keep that momentum going because some days like today, when I look at my calendar, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to possibly get all this stuff done. And if anything comes up in between, I'm in trouble. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. So to be able to be flexible like that is huge. My rule is if I move it at least three times, it didn't need to get done. Oh, oh, I like that. See, I I haven't even been counting. That is good. If I put it off more than three times, it's clearly not a priority. And when it becomes a priority, it can go back on. That is a good rule of thumb. I like that. I might have to start using that one. <laughs> and so um, what, when it comes to entrepreneurship and 
when people are just starting out, and of course, obviously, people who are well into business probably still need to reference this as well. What's something that you would advise them doing when they're first starting out? You know, whether it's having a, a, a consult with you or checking out a, a blog post or picking up this book that talks about XYZ, like, is there anything that you normally would recommend that they do? One of the things that I think is most valuable when someone is starting out, and it's gonna sound so cliche, but it doesn't have to be, is to actually write out a business plan. And I don't mean the kind that you would submit to a bank for a loan. I was like, but 20 pages, eyes rolling, totally boring business page. Or absolutely business plan. not. We're talking right brain business plans. There you go. <laughs> where you actually take the time to put pen to paper and say, you know, this is what I want to try to do. This is the need I want to try to solve. This is what, in my mind, the ideal outcome is for what I'm trying to start. This is who I want to serve. Because once you have those pieces, it's a lot easier for someone like me to say, okay, this is what you want to do. You're likely going to need this kind of a license or this type of insurance policy. This entity is going to make the most sense. You know, if you're selling online and we know you're going to have a website, we need to get your terms and conditions. We need your privacy policy. If you're going to have Amazon links, you got to have those disclaimers on there. So if you have your vision kind of concretized, you've sat down and really thought about what's it going to look like? What do I want my days to look like? How is this going to operate? Everyone can help you a little bit better because yeah. we're not trying to work through that on the fly. You've had time to come into it in your own way. And so then when you work with your mentor or your business coach, or you're getting feedback from your Facebook friends, it's a lot easier for them to see it in your context when you know what the bigger context is. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Yes to Entrepreneurship podcast. Be sure to head over to yestoentrepreneurship.com for more episodes as well as information on how you can join the Yes to Entrepreneurship network. The network brings together ambitious entrepreneurs, you, the why notters, who want to grow their business online and master the basic principles of organic marketing so they can connect with their ideal audience collaborate with fellow business owners, and create engaging content that actually converts into sales so that they can build a sustainable business over time. Join the Yes to Entrepreneurship Network today at yestoentrepreneurship.com.